Whoever is listening, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Grayson Mann, and I'm here joining me. Joining me is a very special guest, great friend of mine, Luke Winstall of Clemson Sports Talk. If you're from the Georgia Clemson area, there's a good chance you've heard this man, maybe at an NFHS broadcast, maybe an ESPN Plus broadcast. He is a unicorn in this business, folks. So get used to the name Luke Winstall, great friend of mine, like I said before, joining me on the show today. We're going to talk about a multitude of things. I'm really excited about it. And here he is, Luke. Welcome to the show, man. We earlier we were talking about some great stuff, and every time we hop on the phone for anything, I always in the back of my mind I'm thinking, I wish I had a tape recorder or something so we could like put this on the podcasting system. It's like, oh, these are great conversations. So I get to finally have you on. Well, thank you, Grayson. Great to be on with you. Really appreciate it. And shoot, here we go. Let's do it. Yeah. So like I mentioned before, uh, you're pretty much a unicorn in this business. I'm going to keep referring to that. We keep using that term just to keep things fresh, I guess, in my head. But you've been uh, recently broadcasting uh, the high school state championships, if I'm not mistaken, especially in the Georgia area. You were in Mercedes Benz. I saw the tweets. You're on the sideline. I mean, I think ESPN analyst Luke Winstall has a nice ring to it. So how is that? I mean, you got to see a lot of top prospects in the area, a lot of coaches flocking down there to visit and see some highly touted recruits uh, and some Georgia football action. So what was that like? And how does that process go of you picking up those games? Yeah, no doubt about it. I appreciate the kind words there. And, you know, going back to Mercedes Benz, it's the first year the state championships have been back there in that stadium in Atlanta, one of the best stadiums we have in the country. So really cool to get to display and show off on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the high school sports and high school football that, we have in Georgia here and let the nation see some of that. So the thing for me is we have, of course, local TV, GPB handles that broadcast. And we have a ESPN radio Atlanta station, which is 103.7 FM. And I was a sideline reporter for a couple of games there. And then the rest of them kind of saying, Hey, I've got the credential here. The games are going on. I'll go and check out recruits and see some coaches and the thing for Clemson and your Clemson audience Four coaches came through, Coach Mickey Kahn, Mike Reed, Nick Eason, and Kyle Richardson. All position coaches were there. So UGA had most of their staff there. Clemson had those four coaches there. A lot of the schools that recruit and have a recruiting blueprint that involved Georgia were in the building. So a lot of people that you get to see walk by, say hi to. And the thing for me that, you know, you look at the process, I've been doing it since 2019 working on the sidelines for the radio crew and it's evolved on what station it's on or as the platform's kind of grown with Georgia football it's grown in terms of the station the audience so working with a lot of guys from 6A to the fan working with that crew and getting to share the sideline with people like Adam Baum who's really big on the radio down here he's got his name trademarked and everything and Wiley Ballard that we know from our ACC coverage and see him around all the time with Georgia Tech and ACC Network sideline and getting to work on a crew with people like that and Chris Mooney, him that does 680 radio in Atlanta. Really cool experience. And the thing for me, I got a fill-in opportunity like day before the 2A game in 2019. And then after that, just gave it everything I could. And they kept bringing me back for a game here, a couple games there, whatever. And then this year got a few games again, got 1A private and got to see a Georgia commit DeMello Jones and then 2A and Got to see three top 100 players on the sidelines for that 1A game. So a lot of talent in Georgia. It runs deep. The audience is growing. The radio audience is growing. So for me, doing a little bit of TV, a little bit of radio, a little bit of writing, like just 
continuing to do whatever I need to do to get credentialed or build a brand or get some of the information that the audience might need to know on social media and different platforms. Yeah. And you can find them on Twitter. We'll link it down below. And it feels like with recruiting, especially for you, I think it was the spring game last year for me when I realized, oh my goodness, like you're pretty like, you're pretty big deal to these guys. Cause I think I was a Clemson recruiter. Somebody was walking out. We were waiting for players for the interviews. I think it was club Nick and a couple other offensive guys. Oh, and yeah. a recruit walked by and he was like, I got to find Luke. I got to find, find him and say, Hey. And I was like, look it over to my, Oh, I was like, look at Luke go. And so I think we had talked before the spring game, just like catching up and stuff. But it's just, do you get that experience at the the Georgia state championships where a couple recruits might like stop by or like catch you in warmups and be like, give you a little point or a little nod there, just the notoriety. How has that grown with you over time? Yeah. The thing for me is when you look at the way that things work in recruiting media and high school media, the way that we do things, I'll do like a year round cycle. So the thing for me is we head into the off season, like I was talking about it and this might be a little weird to say, but I actually enjoy the spring more than I do the fall, which I know is bizarre. Yeah, I know. Everybody, everybody calm down. It's okay. Yeah. But the thing to me is we have like the Under Armour events that come out and they go around the country and bring out all these players. And that's where we build the relationships. You know, the players work out and, no, that was good, Grace. <laughs> just uh, yeah. Um, I got you going there. I got you. Yeah, going you got me. You got me. I, it <laughs> took me a second to be like, oh wait, that was good. Yeah. Um, but spring, you know, we'll have the Under Armour circuits and see these guys, and then seven on seven, and go out to team camps and meet these players. And the thing to me is, when I go out, it's all about developing sources. I know that you know some of the guys you work with at Rivals are incredible at doing it, and for me, it is a process I know that takes years and years of time to build. So the thing is having a year round process of spring, I have a certain circuit that I run. I do things around Georgia, sometimes maybe South Carolina, Tennessee, Alabama, depending on what's going on and try to build that radius about three hours around Atlanta. And what happens with that is seven on sevens international, or sorry, national now. And you have guys coming in from all across the country. You'll see players from California flying in. You'll see players from up north flying in. And then all of a sudden you're getting to see just from being around the metro Atlanta area. It's I've had people walk up to me and say, oh, you know, there's more to recruiting than just Georgia. And I say, yeah, but if I hang around Atlanta, they're going to come to me. They're coming to Under Armour events. They're coming to seven on sevens. So I may not have as big of a travel radius in the fall because if I'm traveling to a high school game or a high school practice, I've got to turn around and be ready for a Clemson game or whatever we have going on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So to me, I get to expand the radius. I get to have more people coming into town. And when you have that happen to answer your question, then you're starting to see guys and you're not just a person they see on game day when everybody's there, but you're a person they see Avion Terrell. I, I think the year leading up to his commitment, I saw him probably four or five times. So now even when I see him at Clemson, we kind of, you know, point or a little nod, just acknowledge like, Hey, how's it going? I've gotten to meet his family and his brother. And of course, you know, AJ and mom. And when you get to, to see that, that's when you really build the ties of maybe someone will reach out to you instead of me having to reach out for an interview. Like one of the relationships with Shelton Lewis, I got to know him through a Cam Newton seven on seven event. He played on Cam's team for a while and was a very prominent corner on the opposite side of Avion Terrell on that team. So 
they've had that going on for a while. And with Shelton, he was one that on signing day, he reached out and he was like, Hey, I'm signing. Here's what's going on. He's like, if you want to do an interview, here's what we can do. And the thing to me is with the recruiting process, just seeing guys multiple times throughout the year, we know that they're grinding, but when they know that we're grinding as well, that's when those relationships are built to where not everyone gets it, not everyone respects it, and they don't have to, but some of them will. And that's where some of the players that Clemson recruits really care about the relationships, the people that have been there around them for a while. So now for these players, this is my third full recruiting cycle that I've covered. So some of these guys I've known since they were a freshman, like Sammy Brown. I think the first game I went to see him was the first game of his sophomore year. So known each other for a while. We can go and talk at some of the games and catch up a little bit when he goes and visits. And a lot of the, a lot of the positives of it is Clemson's recruiting these really high level individuals and characters. They're easy to talk to. They'll come up and say hi and be polite. And they're just the type of people that are easy to get along with. So that's where that comes from is just seeing guys throughout the cycle. And then it builds the relationship to the point where Sometimes I'll see a guy and not even ask for an interview. That's one thing of just knowing when not to bother somebody can gain <laughs> you even more ground. So that's something I've had to learn over time because I used to be the like, oh, hey, I'm in the building. Let's just let's do an interview. Like, oh, I'm here again. Let's do an interview. It's like, wait, I just saw you. Like, And just knowing when to give and take and what to do to kind of help them out and they'll help you out and and those kinds of things have fueled that. Well, especially if you're – you have this interview or you go to these events and then you go home and write about how like they they might have felt like they had a bad day but you were like really impressed with the way they might have carried themselves during the event or the way they handled this certain drill and they're like oh wow i appreciate that and so it kind of is that give and take i guess where you get the access and then in turn you write about them and it just is this symbiotic relationship that i think makes the recruiting so interesting and i don't know if that we'll get into this later i don't know if we'll lose that personal touch the more NIL and transfer portal become more of a discussion at the high school level. Um, Cause you can tell me if I'm wrong here. It feels like it's creeping around. It's starting to get to that point where it's becoming a serious point of where am I going to go to school here? Because it's no longer X, Y, Z it's X, Y, Z. And then it continues. Like there's more letters in the alphabet we didn't know about that are starting to pop up. So that give and take, and I'm not been very familiar with recruiting Luke. So you can kind of fill me in on like this or that, but it's very interesting from a guy like because at our rival site, Paul is the man and he handles all the recruiting stuff. And it's just cool to yeah. see how this works because it is a year long process. It's not like the football, the, the playing on the field or the record counts that stops, but it continues. And that's what make college football so special as compared to maybe high school, or the NFL. It is a continuous overarching yearly thing. Sure is. And the way that the cycle has gone, like even during a dead period, you've still got stuff going on maybe individually you've got guys that are doing training sessions so there's always a way to find you know people and what's happening and with nil i i do like to tell people there's more to it than just money there's it's not turned to a blind oh this is a bigger check i'm going here it can get that way for sure and i know that can annoy some people but i'm also one of the people that says we need a cba we need to go into college football collective bargaining players and then Everybody else, all the executives, make your deals. That's how we get stability. Because you've already taken it to the point where we're halfway there. You might as well go all the way there. So I'm one of those types of guys. I know different people feel different ways about that, but it's better than having players. Now, now the way that the one-time transfer portal rules no longer going to work 
we need contracts. We need things like what coaches have of, if you leave, this is what happens. If you stay, this is what happens. If you do this, here's how this goes. It needs to be a little more hashed out and we get a little more stability than we're trending toward. But in the recruiting process, we're looking at, in terms of branding, I think the industry is doing pretty well with the way they cover recruiting and the way they've gone into the portal. And there's been some outlets that do that better than others. But it's been one that even the industry and the way we cover it has to evolve. And the biggest thing is relationships. Now I'm having to, on my spring schedule, I'm having to go to events with eighth graders. Like that's where we've gotten to because these relationships happen so quickly. You have guys committed sophomores and you may not have even had them on your board yet. If you're Clemson, you haven't offered them yet. But you're having guys that are committing. You're having guys that are making big decisions. There's breaking news to be talked about there's photos that you need so the reason the way i first learned this was julian lewis five star to carrollton he's already been on the cover of sports illustrated yeah. sophomore in high school so back of a player yeah yeah he sure is and that was one that he was in eighth grade we were at an event i heard about the hype and i said okay cool i'll go watch his throwing session and i go over and ron veal who is trevor lawrence's quarterback coach and a few other big names he was there training julian said, okay, cool. Well, I will have an easier time evaluating Julian because I can just listen to what Ron Veal is telling him to do better. And I'm watching this and I'm, just, I'm looking at these balls coming out like, that's different. That's special. That's unique. <laughs> and I, every time, and I still have it on my phone and there's even some videos where I'm like talking in the background, you know, like in media, you don't want to talk in the background of the video you're filming. I'm sitting there like, oh man, that's different. I didn't see a whole lot of deep ball throwing on that day because they were more focused on short and intermediate, but I was almost at the point where it's like, I don't even know how much more I need to see. Like he's got the hype and he's worth it all. So I went ahead and eighth grade Julian Lewis about to finish middle school. I go ahead and do the interview, get to know him, meet his dad, get, you know, phone numbers and the whole deal. And that's where I said, like, we don't want to do this all the time because I'm not really here to cover middle school football, but there's points where this is important. There's a guy at Milton High School, Christian Hunter, that had five and a half sacks and five and a half TFLs in his freshman year. And he's one that at the defensive line position we've already highlighted is going to end up being a pretty big deal of a division one player. And there's some people in Georgia like Alex Benson that he's with born to compete. They do a really good job identifying people. So even for me, it's like, Hey, Maybe I should go to his events or maybe I should reach out and ask him some questions. And he's one that got on some of the guys, like another Trevor Lawrence reference here. He was one that was on Trevor really early and uh, some of the guys like Travis Hunter early in high school. So that's where to me, we've shifted the calendar. So now for me, I've had to shift of now I'd love to be talking about juniors and seniors, but sophomores are making some of the biggest news right now. We've got some really big five-star types of guys. So it's, it's understanding that that's how that's shifting, but also as an individual in media trying to make your brand NIL proof in a way to where regardless of a decision a player makes, you're still able to provide value. Because so much of it has been focused on the decision-making process in the past with being able to do content that's a little more, a little outside of that, a little extra, providing some some value in different ways now. I think it's making us evolve. Yeah, and I think the first time that I thought that we were in a different world was the Quinn Ewer situation, where it was I, I, I still the details are a little, a little bit foggy for me, but I believe it was 
wanting to be compensated his senior year. They wouldn't allow that. And so one thing led to another. He's at Ohio State for basically a semester and then goes to Texas. And he's now in the college football playoff uh, representing the Longhorns. And it's just like, man, we're in a different era. And I'm sure that eighth, like you mentioned, eighth grade Julian Lewis, things are just different. And if my brother-in-law is watching it, his house is the backyard of Carrollton football. So we get to just walk over there and watch Julian Lewis six times a year without having to really break a sweat. And you you can, yeah. And you can just tell that guys like him are a little different. He's the, the Trevor Lawrence's, the Kale Williams, just in the recent quarterback prospects. Um, It's just a different world. And uh, you talk about NIL value and NIL proof. Do you think that sometimes I, I think when like, and I think this is, we'll get into what this, how Clemson plays in this formula, because I think they have a unique advantage. I feel like I'm in the minority here when it comes to this, but, and I guess I can might as well ask you what you think on this, but I think when, as the recruiting has changed and you start to have kids going, okay, where am I going to go to maximize my profit? Or am I going to have to transfer out in a year? I think Clemson has a unique advantage where they're not forcing kids out of the transfer portal. They're not, there's players that are, Dabo's was going to honor the scholarship essentially. And you got like, where I'm not trying to put words into people's mouths, but like Georgia's the Alabama's there may be a third string receiver on scholarship. They're like, Hey, you might be better off at the transfer portal. And that's not happening at Clemson. You see, maybe there are kids like the Sammy Browns of the world who see that and see how there's Clemson's almost that old relic and that old wise sage that like refuses to change the ways he's still got a flip phone on him. He's not going to convert to Apple or Android. Um, do you see maybe some recruits looking at that going, I need that normalcy instead of just the, the craziness that not that doubt Clemson's not doing that and conforming to it. We already see how active they are in the transfer portal in this cycle. But do you see maybe there's an advantage for for Clemson going to say, hey, we kind of have the old way. We almost have a way back machine like it's back to the future. Like this is a little bit different than most programs handle this new era. And for my audience, I'm putting that in quotes because it is I don't know how to coin it. We're still so young into this. Yeah, we sure are. I've even used it as a headline maybe, I want to say maybe a month ago or within the past month of, I had a recruit tell me in a quote quote headline here, they develop the freshmen, that kind of deal of, he talked about, it was important to him that Clemson doesn't take portal guys over you. We've seen some schools where you come in, you're like getting ready for playing time, but then the coaches portal and recruit over you. And that's been a really big issue. I was talking to a high school trainer last night and a lot of people probably don't know. A lot of the trainers play a bigger role in the recruiting process than people think, especially the ones that we have around Atlanta. There's some very well-connected ones, former pros. This trainer was telling me, he's like, I'm not taking my class of 24 kids to camps this summer. Like I'm not taking them around all that power five stuff. Like they're going to the places where they've really precisely handpicked, but A lot of the big schools are not looking at, oh, yeah, here's a rising senior. Let's find a guy. Let's identify a player. There's not a whole lot of that anymore at a lot of schools, especially in the South. It's a lot of, oh, we need help now. We'll just go to the portal. And I've had some coaches tell me that if there's a portal kid and a high school kid that are a similar grade, it can be a tough decision. But on the flip side, I've heard some college coaches tell me that they'd rather take the high school kid than the portal kid if more years of eligibility, if they're around the same level. So you see ups and downs to it. And the thing that I look at with Clemson is players that want a little security of, okay, they're not going to portal over me. They'll be a little patient with me. I'll get my red shirt year. If that's in the plans, then move on. That's something that they're definitely using as a recruiting point. Now I do think where we are right now, 
is interesting in covering this Clemson process because they're having to figure out where they stand of, okay, we know we need to use the portal, but how do we use it without ditching that philosophy that we're pitching and also using it in a way that is rational and then using it because you need to fill holes because there's places where there's certain players right now that are number one in the depth chart that I don't think should be. And understanding that if, you know, if the coaches feel that way, and I think they do feel that way because they're trying to host these guys on visits, trying to balance where do you fit in the, in the portal landscape and, and just how much do you take? How much do you go with? So we're seeing that be determined. I think they're going to take players in more impact positions than they have in the past instead of just backup quarterback clipboard holder guys. But they're getting ready to be coaches. Yeah, I mean, basically, yeah. And and the thing to me is taking a couple of guys and making it very on the nose. So this is a position of need. We didn't feel comfortable. And it's something that you can explain. I've had guys like uh, Elijah Thurman, four-star that I'm writing about, talk about some of that approach as well with NIL and the portal and talk about how he felt Clemson was a good spot for him because of that. That's why they're a top contender for him. And that's why you're seeing people start to look at, hey, maybe this is a Clemson O-line target that ends up committing here. So those are the things that I'm seeing. It it does make an impact, but also on the flip side, you look at if everyone else is patching holes immediately. And the thing with the portal, I did not think it would be as effective as it has been, the way that you can just plug and play somebody, especially at the quarterback position. That's what everyone points to of, look at the Heisman ballot, transfer, transfer, transfer all the way top to bottom. And then you look at it and say, wait, this is working. The transfer portal quarterback situation, I think the market has exploded accordingly because there's only one quarterback on a team. So quarterbacks are going to portal, but then the coaches are saying, wait, this is working. This is going smoothly. And sometimes in year one with a guy, you're making a big jump. And we're seeing that theory be tested at other positions, but it's been working so well. Obviously in the ACC, you've got a Keon Coleman that's a plug-and-play borderline All-American. And you're looking at some of those things that you're hearing the announcers on TV say, oh, yeah, he used to go to this school. And I've seen it, you know, even more in basketball, basketball broadcasts. I was doing spotting charts the other day for a couple of mid-major men's and then same for women's basketball teams. It was like 80% transfers on, on the way that was going. So every player, I was making a note, and then I get to the point where I was like, it's actually not noteworthy. It used to be when I started, even back in 2019, college sports, college basketball, if someone transferred, that was something that you would maybe mention on a broadcast because it's a little different. It's part of their story. It's a unique journey. But now it's like everyone's transferring. So it's like, eh, this is not really noteworthy anymore. And now in football, we're seeing that of a couple of teams in the ACC, you try to, if I were to try to call their game, I would just say that's not even important unless it's from a super big school. And yeah, the way we're looking at it right now in the portal, yeah, I, I do think Clemson needs to be more aggressive. I had a source tell me over the past week that they've been slow playing recruitment, and I know people talk about in the portal you want to be speed dating more than you do want to you know go through the whole courtship process, and it seems like Clemson has not been quite as aggressive as other schools so far. They're learning their way. They're finding their feet. I wouldn't get too discouraged about the early misses in the portal. They are a couple of big swings and misses, but they're at a position where now you just have a new coach. They're finding their strategy with Matt Luke and figuring out where they want to go in the O-line. So 
yes, while those were some big swing and misses in the portal, it's something that I think is going to take a little time in the approach. You're going to have to learn how to do this whole speed dating thing. You can't play, can't slow play the portal the way that you slow play recruiting and Clemson's still getting away with slow playing high school recruiting, but it's, it's going to need to be a little different approach if they actually want to land some of these guys. Do you feel like the, and I think you, you touched on this really early and it was fascinating to me. That's a thought that I've thought about just pondered and especially in this situation, because you talk about patience and development and how certain freshmen come in and maybe it's not immediate. It's not a, just, they get it. It's sometimes it's learning the playbook, learning how to be a college football player, learning how to just be a college student in general. It's quite the transition for a lot of people. And so maybe it doesn't hit freshman year immediately. Maybe it takes your junior year. Maybe it just takes the spring to say, Hey, okay, this guy's figured it out. Is that patience you feel in these bigger programs? I'm going to look at a program like USC, Colorado, where their entire roster, and like you say, it's no longer noteworthy that a guy's transferring when maybe an entire roster is, the story is that all the rosters transfer players. I mean, I think I looked at Colorado's new offensive line. It's going to be all start. Their starting five is all transfers. They saw the need and they sped that up. They uh, love the speed dating process. So I think Dion wants to get that with Colorado. I think actually last year, when I had you on, we talked about Dion to Colorado. So I'm yeah. actually interested to see how we predicted that would play out. But back to what with this patience thing, do you think this idea of patience and development in college football may be lost depending on the program and just saying, hey, if we can't find him, if this freshman five-star we recruited isn't having 60 catches, 1,000 yards this season, isn't what we really want, there's a guy in the portal we think can do the same thing. And it's just that quick. Like players are getting lost in the portal, lost in the depth chart just because of that lack of patience, because there is that option now. And like you've said, it's worked, especially at the quarterback position. You see Ohio State um, with Kyle McCord. They were probably six points away from being in the college football playoff because they weren't going to lose to Iowa. Let's just be real here. Um, And so you see that with McCord. They're already moving on, it feels like. And he's taking a visit to Syracuse, is what I saw as of recently. So is that patience in your mind something that's just going to be lost and something we have to accept, or do you maybe see different programs handling it differently? A couple of things that come to mind for me, I think first off, we see how much a coaching staff believes in a player and we see it very quickly and in ways that we never would have seen five, 10 years ago. And we're seeing, there'll be guys that I've covered in recruiting. I say, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been there a couple of years. Like it's his time to step up. The guy that was in front of him is going to the draft. And then all of a sudden it's like X school gets transfer <laughs> player. And I say, oh, I guess they didn't believe in him. Or maybe they did believe in the guy and there's other external factors. But to me, it's like, would you have gone out and gone through that speed dating recruiting process with a player at that position if you really believed in the guy behind him? So think about like, Clemson, for example, if you didn't believe in, ooh, let's see. I don't know. Uh, here's an easy example. Georgia, Brock Bowers goes to the draft. If they didn't believe in Oscar Delp, we would know because they would have portaled in a tight end, but they believe in Oscar Delp. That's a that's an easy example that comes to mind. Then we're looking at, on the flip side, with patience, we're looking at players that get jumped on the depth chart. And there's even times like last year when we started to see after the Georgia Tech game, the young corner stepping up. I didn't know who it was, but I was talking to a couple of guys in the press box. I said, okay, Avion's jumped 
at least one person. If Shelton Lewis jumps a guy, we're definitely having one, maybe two corners transfer out. That's what we're looking at because it's gotten to the point where that's we look at some of the biggest reasons for transfers. I'm looking at players that don't get along with an assistant coach very well. The marriage did not go as well as they thought it would in recruiting. We're looking at the types of situations where guys been passed on the depth chart. And then we're looking at a spot where guys feel like they need playing time and they're going to get it more elsewhere. And of course there's an aisle and tampering and that's a totally separate thing, but I'm talking about the legitimate football side of things because tampering is rampant. I hear about it a very good bit and I'm not near as connected as the national personalities that I'm sure hear about it every 10 minutes. But the thing for me with tampering is it's not the kind of thing where it's like, oh yeah, you know, the coaches have been DMing this player or texting this player. It's in all these creative ways. These college coaches, I knew they were creative kind of growing up, following recruiting and hearing about this stuff. And yeah, you hear every once in a while about the McDonald's bags and Jeremy Pruitt <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And Oh man, what a distant memory. Yeah. But now you look at what goes on with tampering and it's players checking into the trainer of, Hey, uh, how do you and X player feel like things are going? Could there be interest in coming to my school and parents or we still have handlers. That's one thing that I think people might've forgotten in the way that we've gone in the NIL process. They think we've gone straight to agents maybe or parents, but handlers are still very much alive and well. And I've seen a lot of that go on of reaching out to that, that person that's kind of behind the scenes. So no one really knows them on a national or statewide scale in a lot of areas, but they know the important people. They know the players are tied into families, players, programs. It's all those different ways of someone reaches out and puts out a feeler to someone around the player and says, Hey, what if this were to happen? And it's all these conversations that is creative because they're not reaching out directly to a player. They're not talking directly to a player. It's not illegal to talk to someone's dad, but you look at the way it is in recruiting and you say, oh, these are things that are happening. There's situations that we look at and sometimes you may not be able to know for a fact it's tampering, but you see and you connect the dots and you say, oh, I think this might be a tampering situation. You don't report that. But in the back of your mind, it's something you stash away for when you're breaking down roster management, roster construction, when you're evaluating a coach. Sometimes you might want to knock a coach for losing a guy. But then you say, oh, it's like, <laughs> totally his fault because it might have been one of those. And then you connect the dots. So that's why, like, I tell people, and I say this all the time, anyone that ever asks for advice, I say, talk to everybody you meet on the sidelines. If you're ever at an event, even if you're not credentialed media, if you're trying to get into it, talk to everybody. Because I think you'll be surprised how many people people that people know and how tied in they can be and how many stories they can tell you and just things that help you build the frame of reference. Because the biggest thing to me is connecting dots. I don't have to report everything I hear. I don't usually want to. But it's just little nuggets that you get in the back of your mind. Then you start to connect dots and then you say, okay, I feel like I know this situation. And because I know that, then you might know where things can go in the future, how rosters can be managed, what could be next. And, and that's how you start to move stories forward. So to me, it's become a bit of a puzzle. And I think in media, if you don't look at it that way, if you don't 
enjoy feeling like you're in a TV show with your magnifying glass, trying to figure out what's going on and trying to talk to people. That's where I think people start to get burnt out of the media and this side of things and start to say, oh, you know, I don't want to work in recruiting and recruiting is not for me. But to me, I see it as this is talent acquisition. We watch it play out every week and we're either right or wrong about things all the time and and seeing how it plays out in such an unpredictable fashion. Even though I, I tell people nothing surprises me anymore, but tonight I opened my phone and I'm surprised by a transfer and it it still has shock value to it. So you look at all these situations, I think that you have to kind of embrace it if you're a fan of talent acquisition and just jump into like, there's constant drama. This is like reality TV every second of the day for college football fans. I think if you don't look at it that way, it's really easy to get negative about it, but this is where we are. So get used to it. And I don't think it's going to get any closer to what we're used to in the past. So uh, this is where it is. And, and you kind of have to embrace it or else I think you'll start to lose some of the love for, for where we are, what the sport has become. You talk about the magnifying glass. Are you Clemson sports talks, Sherlock Holmes, when it comes to this recruiting? I'm working on that. You know, I I wouldn't <laughs> go to any level of mastery with it yet because it's something that I'm still very young in. I tell people I think you need a decade. And I think that's when you start to get to the point where you've built a big online brand on social media. You've got years of reputation. You've got coaching connections. For me, it's all starting. Like it, it starts with coaches see you at events and they start to recognize you. And maybe they don't know your name yet, but they they know they've seen you and they know they're comfortable talking to you. And then they know your name. And then it builds from there. So I always tell people like, yeah, you know, maybe maybe in a give me a decade, give me like seven more years, and we'll start talking about that. But it's Ooh. all a building process, and and that's the thing to me is just every single day. It's all about the. You know, bring the energy, try to get 1% better, and then try to make sure you're posting at least one thing a day, whether it's social media, articles, broadcasts, radio, whatever you do. I caught you early then. Seven years from now, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be close to being 30 years old. I'm like, oh, don't love thinking about that. But I mean, the timeline is certainly, it is a slow burn process. I mean, things don't magically come out of thin air in this business for sure, as I've slowly but surely learned. Um but there's something that you touched on that's so fascinating to me about just the way this is this goes and how like the drama and the tampering. I mean, we had Dabo in a nuclear bunker. It looked like at the Gatorball press conference talk about how tampering is the problem. It's like, OK, he and Stoops was very quick to go. Yeah, I agree. And so, I mean, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to. I'm not connecting any dots yeah. here or saying anything, Clemson guys, but when I saw this was all my this was just my Twitter timeline specifically, just me scrolling on my phone in between classes or like it was in between exam studies or classes or we were filming a show at uh at Tiger Vision for those who know that. Um yeah. see Andrew McCuba announcing he's entering the portal, and then I slide up and I see a picture of Lane Kiffin in Oconee County in South Carolina. I was like, wait a minute. Like he just posted that. And it's just like, wait a second, like, I'm not going to say anything, but like that just, that doesn't seem a little bit like, we're just going to call it this, the, the dots are connecting in my head of what's going on. And maybe that's a completely different situation because social media posts are probably, they're made that day, but the decision I would imagine is made, I would assume in advance. Let's just say that. Um, yeah. So it's just weird uh, how that plays out, especially in college football. It is a constant like i'll open up my phone and especially in the last two weeks i think this is what for what Dabo's starting to realize especially since he wasn't prepping for an acc championship 
is that he's had three weeks of probably a noteworthy news thing a day. And you see it on social media. You see it with transfer announcements like Bo Collins Monday announces he's like, I'm not, my timeline's off, but like, just for example, Bo Collins announces he's in the transfer portal four days later, halfway in between that he's linked to Notre Dame two days later, he's committed to Notre Dame. Like the process is so quick and -hmm. it's so interesting and how quickly it plays into that social media gratification of we want that information. It's not like we, we see a trailer for a movie and you got to wait seven months for it to come out in the summer. Like it happens very quickly. So if you want information, quickly college football is very much the sport for you and just anything for you yeah it's like i say it's like reality tv for guys in a way <laughs> like you know <laughs> you might have a, a girlfriend or a friend or something that's like real housewives of atlanta or whatever and yet and you're like oh, i'm just watching the hayes fawcett twitter account honestly oh like, man he's on a roll yeah and just graduated from college uh, shout out but wow. yeah what about hey, the we'll dylan royal information Cause that was was that a, a Will Fong bomb or something? as they want to call it? Yeah, I think Will Fong broke that one. Um, yeah, and that's another one where you start connecting dots of of how all that goes with. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave it there's, at that because I, I feel like that's what there's a lot of hearsay. You know, we're going to the state championships over the weekend. There's a lot of hearsay that. Um, you know, you don't know it's a fact, but people talk and reporters talk and there's that situation is going to oh, be man. a fun one to follow. But, but the point really with tampering and Dabo and, and some of them and all the coaches say, like, yeah, tampering is the problem. I say, good luck. Like, good luck <laughs> stopping it. you know, if they could stop it, I guess they would or would have an idea of how to do that. You know, how are you going to stop a assistant coach or even an assistant coach that reaches out to one of his connections that reaches out to a player's uncle that then talks to a player. Like, how are you stopping that, tracking that, enforcing that with 3,000 players in the portal? Like, really? Like, good luck. You know, good luck. The tampering stuff's not stopping. I know we can complain about it all we want to, but even some of the things I hear of, all you got to do is find a person that's connected to somebody and then you can do it yourself or you can get someone connected to you to reach out to a connected to somebody and six degrees of separation and college football is so small that everyone knows each other. And I just look at those kinds of things and say, okay, I mean, I appreciate that we're acknowledging that that's an issue. I think it's something fans do need to know about, but I'm also in the back of my mind, like if they're going to go, they're going to go. And now with the, again, that the judge's ruling, I, I, don't know which day it was it's kind of mixed together the past Mm -hmm. three days after working the games but um, when the judge came out and said that the one-time transfer waiver is not gonna fly anymore you can just transfer anytime anywhere NCAA can't restrict that that's when I said okay this is where it's going and this is why we need CBA because you're trending toward professional sports without being professional sports there's a lot of issues that come with that tampering is one of them and we look at these kinds of situations and I just say, you need, you got to have more structure and more structure means a professional league basically. And I've even looked at, I've asked some people, I'm like, Hey, so if we talk to a high school kid, that's making NIL money, do we call that a professional athlete or because they're, aren't they amateur? Are they a high level? Are they uh where do we go now? Because in Georgia, like, and there's been some really interesting NIL deals that have been signed by GHSA players, which, one of them, Tyler Atkinson's deal, I believe, gives some internship opportunities in the future. Like, there's been some really cool touches, assuming that oh. 
all the contracts and details are worked out in the way that they're being played out to be. And from what I've heard on some of the deals, I'm looking at it and saying, very well done. Like, it's not necessarily guys grabbing a bag. I'm sure money is obviously a big reason. That's that's the point of it. But being able to tie in connections and tie in job opportunities and tie in gear and tie in different kinds of things. So the way it's gone, there's there's so many positives and negatives. But to me, it's just you have to embrace it. This is where we are. You look at what's going on around around fan bases and how they handle it. And I'm curious to see how that evolves as well as, you know, are people going to go numb to it or is there going to be a colossal reaction every time a player like Andrew Makuba? Well, that's maybe a big example. Uh, every time a player that maybe has some starting experience in a team transfers, or do we start to only get shocked by the truly shocking ones? Like that's where I go with Andrew Makuba. That, that was one where I looked at it and I said, whoa, I'm going to refresh the page read it again and make sure <laughs> I'm seeing this correctly. And then I see it and I say, wow. And then, you know, the guys tweeting out offers like they're in high school. That's one oh, thing. That's that crazy to me. Keep, yeah. People kind of go either way on. I don't mind it because it, it gives information. So, oh, okay. Oregon's interested in you. I saw that offer pretty quick to Makuba, for example. And, you know, how do we handle this process? I've seen guys in the portal like that really reach out and they're even more responsive than they were in high school and they're big name guys and they're kind of treating media and treating marketing differently. I've seen some guys kind of run away like, wait, no, I'm not, I'm not doing any media right now. Like this is not happening. So seeing the way that people handle it, like we don't, I'm not seeing a whole lot of trends yet. I'm seeing a lot of each side of things. So I'm curious to see what the trends become and that in a way who are, who are the trend setters for the way that this is going now that we're allowing people with the ruling to transfer anytime, anywhere, in conference, whatever, can't restrict it. And just seeing where it continues to go. Are we going to see the majority of quarterbacks jump in the portal every year because they either need more playing time or can get more money? You know, where do we sit on that kind of thing? So the trends, like where we are right now is interesting. I'm just thinking bubble, trend, do you change rules? It takes so long to do that. But yeah, it's just, it's so much drama to me. I'm like, Okay. Yeah, let's do it. It's fun. You got to be along for the ride, I guess. And just with the quarterback conversation, if you wanted a a great advertisement for the transfer portal, if you're a quarterback looking to go to a bigger market, Bo Nix at struggling Auburn goes to Oregon, likely will be a first round draft pick this, this spring. Jane Daniels struggles a little bit at uh, ASU transfers to LSU gets tutelage under Brian Kelly. He's likely to be a top 10 pick when this is all said and done. I wouldn't mind him on the team that I'm representing right now on my hat is all I'm going to say. Um, you look at Michael Penix, uh, his most infamous moment was the, the pylon at Indiana. I remember that game very fondly. Now he's taking Washington to the playoffs probably will be a first round draft pick. I assume, especially in a loaded quarterback class, uh, Marvin Harrison, I uh, not train. He's the only one that wasn't a transfer, but, um, you're looking at him like there's a rumor floating around. He may stay and collect a massive NIL. Granted, that's a rumor, and I think he probably will go pro if I had to guess, but it's just interesting how it has changed. And the Heisman Trophy, I mean, Joe Burrow, I guess, was the first one, but we really weren't in that time yet of quarterbacks entering the transfer portal and then winning the Heisman Trophy and it being like a common thing. Joe Burrow was more of an anomaly in 2019 uh, when he transferred to LSU, and so it was more of a unique situation 
I guess in that point, he was more of a lesser known name before he really took off at yeah. LSU, which is weird. So it's just how this plays out. Uh, with we might see more of like the Heisman finalists for the rest of the rest of time as their mo- the winners might be coming from different situations. Um, and I remember watching Jaden Daniels at Oregon beating uh, Justin Herbert, who's top one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league. He's now going to the NFL. Like it's it's weird to see how these things play out, and there's so many storylines, a new season every year. It really is like a TV show, like you said, because um, if you really are invested in it then I feel like you're rewarded. It's like following along with like the, not to be a huge nerd here, and you might appreciate this or not, is like when the two big Avengers movies came out in Infinity War and Endgame, and they had all the references from the old movies. And so there were so many moving parts with those two, uh, that two-parter. If you understood them, you were more likely to enjoy it and be like, hey, I was rewarded for my investment. And in college football, if you follow this, like it's like a habit or a hobby, even if it's not your job, in next fall, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember following that kid two years ago. This was cool to see. Like, it's so interesting, and I guess that's that side that I don't think about as much. Yeah, and it all comes from the whole – if the NCAA hadn't built their business model on a what I think is unethical practice, we wouldn't have gotten to this point. So if we're looking at the, like, original stuff of the whole student-athlete, like – if you sign an autograph and get paid in, you know, a dollar, then, oh, we're going to suspend you. You know, that, that, that was the kind of thing to me that when you build it that way and then try to change it, but you don't commit to becoming the type of type of model that you're kind of representing yourself and presenting yourself as is almost a pro sport, the way that what's the difference between college and the NFL financially, you know, obviously dollar figures, but the way they structure things is somewhat similar. And to me, I look at, we're trying to change this on the fly as we go, making like incremental changes in these ways. And to me, getting to the point where, okay, yeah, the players needed to be able to make NIL money. Yeah, where could that go wrong? You know, this <laughs> uh, and then you look at, okay, players can move around. Where can that go wrong? That's where you need actual contracts to hold people down in situations. So yeah, that's that's where we're getting to in college football. I think it's becoming honestly what it should be. You shouldn't have players out here that, you know, can't make money off their names or can't make money off what they're doing because we we should have this market that's open and free. And I know it's hard for some people. And I know that there's going to be casual fans and casual fans are a great thing in college football. And there's going to be people that tune in and look at a team and say, oh, wait, I don't really know many of these people. Where'd they come from? What'd they do? Maybe some people are curious. Maybe some people are turned off. I understand both sides. And that's that's the trouble of it. It's also the type of thing where if you want college football to be a year round sport, here's your chance. This is where the calendar and the calendar needs to move. And I think there's a recognition and a recognition to the point where change could actually happen somewhat quickly. The calendar is just terrible. Why are we having people opt out and and not opt out? Sorry. Why are we having people hit the portal and opt out? before the bowl games why are we not why are we having free agency start before the postseason you know could you imagine yeah. if the, the Patriots had to re-sign their free agents before they could go play in the playoffs like it doesn't make sense I understand the the old ways of things that's how it's traditionally been done but now that we have a playoff and now we have bowl games and the extended playoffs going to push it even further and we're looking push the dates even further back we're looking at we need to have this free agency phase and the transfer portal 
move back. We need signing days and those dates to change. We probably can move early signing day up even more because the calendar keeps moving forward and younger and younger and younger with the high school recruiting side of things. So move the portal back, move the high school signing day up. There's some people out there that in talent acquisition would tell you that there's, you know, we have two types of offers. We have committable and uncommittable. You know, committable Grayson, because Clemson's offers are all committable and that's how mm-hmm. they rotate through their board. And that's, that's what they like to advertise. But if you were to cover a school like Tennessee, like I have in the past, you're looking at three or 400 offers out for one class. Those are not committable offers. Very few are. That was a mistake for me as a reporter. I looked at it and said, oh, hey, you have a Tennessee offer. I can interview you. We can do this whole content, whatever, whatever. And then you look at it like, oh, Tennessee hasn't talked to this kid in a year. They just saw him at a camp and said, you have an offer. And, and those kinds of things that you look at and say, oh, wait, you have to ask a kid, are they communicating with you? And they're like, no, they haven't talked to me since October or whatever. Oh, okay. That's not really on their board. And you're sorting out boards and that's a little hard to do on the media side. But for the players, could you imagine like, oh yeah, this school's offered me. Let's call the coach. Let's commit. Let's figure this out. And then they're like, oh, well, we actually have another guy ahead of you. Or even in the portal season now, there are guys that have committable offers, but those offers in that spot might get filled by a portal player that happens really quickly and you may not have advance. And then you, or even if you do have advance, it could be small. And then you're looking at your committable offer becoming uncommittable at the most important time in the cycle. So high school recruiting can move up, portal can move back. We can have our playoff and have our separation happen in the middle. So those are some things in college football that I think from a talent acquisition perspective, change the way we look at it. But imagine if we have this playoff that goes now 12 teams towards Super Bowl time, and then you have the portal open up, and then you have all that happening, and now we're getting towards year-round where we have an NFL draft and a combine and all those things. Well, then college football will have a similar calendar as well. So that could be a positive if you're interested in talent acquisition, if you're interested in following the sport. That's one of the things that I think helps it grow of you start to become year-round. You start to shift your calendar. You do things a little differently. Maybe spring games eventually will become the destination for fans where you're playing an actual team and an actual opponent. Maybe, maybe that's when Clemson can play Furman instead of during the regular season and we could get another conference game or maybe a better opponent and those kinds of things. So cool. college football could become a little more of a year round sport through some of those practices in the calendar. And I think that'd be healthy. I like that. I really do. I think that there's something there to that. Maybe we, Maybe this podcast episode, this return um, with Luke Winstall is actually Luke's application to be like the commissioner of the NCAA. That'd be No, fun. don't give me that job, please. <laughs> no, 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 no. Thank you, Grayson. That's a great compliment. I'm throwing it out there. Um, I would it's never. not committable. It's not, it's not um, anything you have to like worry about. I mean, it's just portal over me, huh? I might, it, it just depends on the next guest. I don't know. Maybe we'll yeah. see. Uh, we're, we're reaching out this podcast though, is not entering the portal. We're not going to any other thing just to keep that going. But Luke, what, before we wrap up, and this has just been fascinating just to kind of peel back the layer. I haven't talked about this in a long time because I think every time we're on the phone, we're talking about like broadcasts or we're talking about specifically what I could do to be better. Cause I just respect and value your opinion so much when it comes to that stuff. But I'd love to get your thoughts on the college football playoff. I don't want to talk about Florida State because that's old news. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to either really anger somebody or really I might anyways. I mean, this is kind of how it is. 
but we're not, I'm not here to ask you whether Florida State should deserve deserves or whether they got screwed over or not. That's two weeks ago. That conversation's old and dead news. I want to hear what you think about the matchups because yeah. I think that last year we got probably two of the better semifinals, and for once we actually got two consistently great semifinals instead of one game being really good and then the the sh- like let's say the Rose Bowl in 2017 when Georgia Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle that team that 54 48 overtime in the Rose Bowl with Baker Mayfield and then Kelly Bryant and Clemson get smushed in the Sugar Bowl at eight o'clock it's more of what we had last year where TSU and Michigan are punching each other back and forth and then CJ Stroud goes unconscious against Georgia and is a player two away from beating them and then playing TCU in the national championship. This is one where I think you're going to get two separate styles of games. I think Michigan, Alabama, to me, it feels like that's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be a really a coach's battle where it's going to come down to who makes the last mistake, potentially which quarterback, which I I think both have their flaws in their game. I think Milrose is probably a little more talented in terms of his scrambling ability than McCarthy. And McCarthy has just disappeared off the face of the earth. When it comes, it really has been Michigan's running game that's carried them to this last portion of the season. That feels like more of a chess match. And then I think Texas and Washington is going to be so much fun in terms of just the offensive output. Two great quarterbacks, Quinn Ewers and Michael Penix. Uh, I would say that there would be a physicality advantage, but I think Washington beat a really physical Oregon team twice um, in the Pac-12. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about where you think that stands and just your thoughts on just, I don't want to get you in trouble with a pick or anything if you don't have that ready to go but love to get your thoughts on the matchup as we get closer to that because before we know it will we it'll be new year's day and we'll be seeing i think the four best teams in college football going after it for a national championship yeah yeah i mean the thing to me when you look at how we got to this these four teams i don't know how we thought we could have five power conferences and four playoff spots (laughs) for the past decade because you're automatically assuming that one conference at minimum is not going to have a playoff worthy team. I know sometimes you've had multiple conferences that haven't had a playoff worthy team. And that's where we've seen Georgia and Alabama, both in the playoff and Michigan and Ohio state, both in the playoff. And I, like, I get that, but also it was like, I've always thought six teams was the appropriate number. I thought you give two teams a bye and then let the other teams battle it out. Then you play each other, play each other. You don't have too many games, but we've got four. And for now, I'll take this the, two the final one. Seeds. Yeah. I mean, Hey, gosh, here we go. And the thing for me, like I'm not working any of these games, calling any of these games. So I'll, I'll pick them. I'll, I'll take the two lower seeds. Honestly, I'll take Texas and I'll take Michigan. I mean, sorry, I'll take Bama, Bama and Texas. And the thing to me that I'm looking at Bama is one of those that feels like they're peaking at the right time. I've been pretty impressed with their improvements throughout the season. I know people talk about Milro all the time, but I'm looking defensively. Their linebacker group is just, a lot of raw athletes that we saw in recruiting that are like, oh, this is a very freakish player. And now you look at that and then you look at Dallas Turner and I'm saying, okay, you know, they're going to be able to contain the edge pretty well. I just, I believe in them stopping the run. They're going to make JJ McCarthy throw the ball the way that I'm seeing things. And I just, I don't believe that JJ McCarthy can win a matchup against Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terry on Arnold. Like, I just, I don't see it. And did you see, you saw the video, hate to cut you off the, and out. you saw the video with Michigan looking at their fourth, the, who was going to play them in the playoff. And I thought it was yeah. like everything you want to know about whether the committee got it right or not. I hate to say this Florida state fans, but 
it felt like there was an odd, like someone had died in the room. It felt like when Alabama got slotted in as a force, he was like, oh, you know what? We got a, we had a, we had Saban has a month to prep for us. And that always says felt like it's like the Belichick. If Belichick has a month to prepare against you, it's like, or Saban or Kirby smart. You're like, Ooh, I don't feel great about that, especially with how Bama's peak, but go ahead, continue. Yeah, and I'm also one of those that says, you know, people talk about Michigan's offensive line and some of the things that they've done, and I say, okay, good luck. Like, these guys <laughs> down south, they're a little different. You saw that against Georgia. You saw how different Trayvon Walker is. I know Aiden Hutchinson's really good, and I don't like that comparison because it's just good versus good when you look at those two D-lines in that game a couple of years ago. But, you know, you saw what happened with Georgia. You saw – some of these guys down south, I think, are a little different on the defensive line compared to the D lines that they have in the conference. So that's one of the things that I'm looking at. I see it every day. I understand if you want to call me biased, you're welcome to do that if you're watching the show and you say, oh, man, but you cover the south. And I say, well, yeah, I watch it on TV, too. And I've seen how these things have played out. And that's just that's where I stand. If Michigan wins, I mean, hey, they've got the talent to do it. I'm not counting them out, but I would take Bama and I I mean, wouldn't say I'd take Bama to cover because they're not favored, but if Bama were favored, I'd take them to cover. I'd take them with some points to Michigan. I'm pretty convinced on that one, but I know it's four versus one, but that's just kind of where it's shaken out for me. And then Texas on the flip side is the type of team that I feel like they added in the portal kind of accents, the kind of things that like when you're making a room, you want to have all the the furniture and all the things right. But sometimes if you have that poster on the wall, all of a sudden people walk in and they just, it's a, it's an awesome room. They want to be there. And I think that having some of the people that they brought in the portal, you know, the receiver from Georgia, A.D. Mitchell, is, is one of the example to me of, okay, you want someone to take the top off of defense, add him in. And those little subtle moves on top of the fact that Sarkeesian is known for developing quarterbacks. He had to sell those Texas quarterbacks on the fact that he can develop. It wasn't just Nick Saban. It was him and his track record in the past. And he's shown that he's developed viewers. He's seeing the results from it. They put a priority in recruiting on offensive line and getting better at the line of scrimmage. They understand that that is the recipe to succeed at the highest levels in college football is O-line just heavy on the line and recruiting like, Four stars like crazy, maybe a five star here and there. The way that they've emphasized that, I think, has set the tone for their program culturally. I think it's something that you've developed your quarterback. You've put an emphasis where you need to on the O-line. You've added accents to the portal. You've got a defensive tackle that's best in the country. And I haven't gotten to evaluate him in person yet, but I'll get to see him at the Senior Bowl. And I'll tell you, I've already sort of writing in my notebook about him and some of the things I'm excited to see in person. So when I'm looking at that matchup, I know Washington's got Penix. The receiver core is brilliant. I just don't believe in him. I'll just be honest with you. Like, I, I'm just not into it. I, Washington football has been really fun to watch this year. I am as big into Pac-12 after dark as anybody, and I will miss it probably more than anybody because I am a night owl, as you know. Uh, oh, we're, I mean, it's close to midnight. And we're filming a podcast. so I mean, that's all you need to know. Yeah, so so like I'm not a Pac-12 hater by any means. I love it. I will miss what we have on that coast. I just don't think this Washington team is up to what Texas has. I know that they've got the talent. I know that they can win similar to Michigan. I say, okay, yes, they can do it. I'm picking 
the lower seeds here. Like I know that there's some risk to that, but I've got a strong belief in Texas. I think Quinn Ewers is one of those quarterbacks that, yeah, we've seen him develop physically, but the way that he's developed mentally, he's become very rock solid. At least he seems like it when he speaks. That's something that I do take into account at quarterback and not really as much at other positions, but the way that he seems so level-headed, the way that he seems like a player that can guide a team. I'm just, you know, talking about some of the star players here. It's just guys I expect to make a big impact. And I'm looking at those two teams. I'm looking at Texas, Alabama in the final. And to me, it's, it's flip a coin, but I'm kind of leaning Bama at this point. I've just been so impressed with the defensive development. I know the offense people talk about, but the defensive development to me is one that I'm looking at. Like I'll take those corners against anybody. And the linebacker group is just so athletic that I'm starting to say, okay, they, they don't have the true defensive tackle that some teams at the championship level have had in the past. There's no Jalen Carter, for example, on that D interior D line, but it's still a big group I believe in defensively with Alabama. And I just defense wins the championships. Milrose so scary offensively. So, you know, if we're going through the bracket, I'll, I'll take Bama. I know that's, that might seem a little crazy, but it's just, that's where my head is. The way you describe Bama it feels like the old Alabama teams, the vintage Saban-esque defensive squads where it's a strong front seven, a very complimentary secondary, I think even more so the case this year. Um, I remember listen, I was listening on the radio on the way home uh, to the Alabama-Georgia game, and I think I think it was on Alabama's side. I think Alabama quarter, cornerback went down one of their starters. I don't think it was Kool-Aid. Um, and they brought in this like kid, this just raw kid, and they immediately targeted him. And Georgia wasn't able to be successful on it. It was like, oh, this kid's ready. Like this kid came in and was like, it was on the nose. He was like, Saban's going to love that. And I was like, that is a vintage Nick Saban team. That is the characteristics of an Alabama championship team. And so I think I agree with you on the, um, on the semifinal picks. And I think what yours has done this year is last year, it always felt like there, he was made, you're waiting for him to make the big mistake or the sloppy mistake. And that maybe was partially due to his youth and inexperience. It just looks like a much refi- much more refined team. Texas is back. I, maybe that's a and if that's an, a, f- a statement that carries a lot of weight to it. So maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Uh, it is back. just one year. We're back. I know Sam Ellinger somewhere is just punching the air that it's not him that did that. But he helped. It's gonna. Yeah, well, he helped for sure. That was a big game. Um, but yeah, Texas uh, and Alabama a rematch of the. Week three, Matt, uh, it was week two where Texas comes in and throttles Alabama in their own uh, home turf. So that'd be interesting to see on neutral field with a much more refined Alabama team. Because I remember in that two-week stretch, Milrow gets benched or something like that. I don't know what happened there. And they get pushed around by USF for three quarters. Yeah. You're like, you're like oh, no. Like, what is going on? So we'll see how it goes. But this will wrap up our uh, really, I think, this is one of my favorite episodes I've done in just terms of conversation on the man with the plan podcast, subscribe wherever you are available. If you're listening to it on Spotify or our radio audience, as I like to call it, uh, just let us know what you think. Leave us a five-star review YouTube. Let us know what your semifinal pick is and just maybe drop a couple comments about Luke Winstall, what you thought, why he's oh just the coolest guy ever. And just a great friend of the program. I'll drop his Twitter and his website, uh, just maybe quickly touch on where the people can find you before I link all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. As I like to say, I'm the only Luke Winstall in the United States, according to an online record search. So I've taken advantage of that and made all my social media handles at Luke Winstall. It's just 
my name, first name, last name, websites, winstillmedia.com, got all kinds of stuff there, just interviews, articles, the whole deal. But yeah, mostly writing for Clemson Sports Talk, doing some work across broadcast platforms and writing and continuing to build content, try to build a brand, continue to build relationships. And thank you for having me on the show. Yep. If you stay till the end, leave something below. Let us know that you found it. And if you go to Twitter and follow him or you go to his pages, let him know the man with the plan podcast sent you because, well, hey, why not? Let's get that connection going. Let's build it. But guys, thank you so much for watching. We're going to have some great content. I'm finally off of school and no longer feeling like death or sick. So we're going to have some great content this Christmas break. I can't wait to do it. And we starting off on the right foot with Luke Winstall. Guys, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day and take care.